Angela. How come you never take showers when the rest of us do? reach puberty yet. Is that it? I bet you don't even have your period. That's enough, Judy. Angela's allowed to shower in the morning or any other time she wants to. Yeah. She takes showers when no one can see. She has no hair down below. Judy! She's a real carpenter's dream. The lad is a board and needs a screw. That's enough! Fuck off! What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. All right, in addition to being a carpenter's dream here on Rock Strikes 10, we are counting down the top 83 albums from 1983. We have made it into the top 50 now so let's keep it going here coming in at number 50 this band here on their sophomore album once again had their biggest success with their sophomore album this band only did have three records out at the end of the day that being said but second album being their most successful definitely has their most notable song in the history of their band talking about the plim souls if you're not familiar with them, their biggest hit is a great song called A Million Miles Away, and it just so happens to be on this record right here called Everywhere at Once. Sound was produced by a guy named Jeff Irick. I don't know much about him, but it's a cool sounding record, so I give him a thumbs up in the production department, whether it's just by sound or by song choices. It's a strong record right here, and for someone that had zero nostalgia for the band, or I never even owned this album uh, until recently on vinyl. But yeah, it's a really cool representation of early 80s music. It's got a little bit of the punk thing, a little bit of the new wave thing, a little bit of power pop and garage, the British things going on. Yeah, and they're not even British. They're from California. So definitely a cool 80s record right here, Everywhere at Once, by the Plimsolls. Let's kick it off today with this one right here. I remember when this track came on, this was the second track on the record. I was like, man, I think this album's actually going to wind up doing pretty good. And I was right. So here's that track right here. And apparently I'm a big fan of songs that have this title with it because I, I like a handful of songs that are called this. So here's a song title remains the same. It remains great. 
So here is the Plimsolls with Magic Touch. Kicking off the show here today and coming in at number 50 on the top 83 albums of 1983 Countdown. That was the Plem Souls from their album Everywhere at Once. That was Magic Touch. Hope you enjoyed the kickoff song here. And we get into number 49 here with Joe Walsh, my favorite Eagle. Because I'm not a big Eagles fan, but I do like me some Joe Walsh for the most part. I've discovered that I've actually recommended albums of his now doing these countdowns like that great Barnstorm record that I featured on the show last year. And speaking of which, this album is co-produced by Joe and Bill Sismichik from that project and a longtime collaborator of Joe's as well, this guy George Chocolate Perry. And a great album title here called You Bought It, You Name It. (laughs) 
Yeah, Joe, Joe was ahead of the curve on dad jokes. Joe Walsh always seemed to me like the older cousin that somehow winds up finding out that you're having a house party and just shows up and crashes it and gets a little extra drunk and makes an asshole out of himself. But at the same time, he is kind of the life of the party. That to me is what Joe Walsh is. So, yeah, he's kind of one of our favorite dipshits, but he makes fun records. They're not very deep. You can't really go deep with a song called I Like Big Tits. But hey, you got to applaud the guy for writing it and putting it on a record. And officially, that song is actually called ILBTs. Just to not get in trouble, I guess, with the label. It got snuck past him, I suppose. Maybe they were all drunk at the table listen by the time they got to the end of side one. But like I said, I had fun with this record. It's got a lot of the uh, okay dad, you know, like old guys in the 80s kind of lyrics. It's literally got a song that so many people have written song called class of 65 where it's just talking about people you went to school with and that song has been done so many times and there's a song about video games <laughs> so yeah but i i just i just think it's a fun record so i i was pretty kind to it honestly it kept me entertained enough and i like how joe was his own thing prior to being an eagle so that really just means the solo albums are true solo albums even though the eagles do make cameo appearances on these albums with background vocals and stuff like that it it doesn't seem to matter all that much so it doesn't put me out in any way so yeah once again like i said i had fun with this record called you bought it you name it and here is a nice highlight that i don't think people have really heard too much of this song very much tucked away at the end of the record but check this one out it's called shadows
Really cool rocker right there with a hell of a guitar solo, which should be par for the course with any Joe Walsh record. But that, to me, is a next level right there. So hope you enjoyed that. That was Shadows by Joe Walsh off of You Bought It, You Name It, coming at number 49. And coming at number 48 here, another surprise for me. I, I'm sure I have heard this band name at some point just endless magazines and books and everything like that, reading stuff about music history. But I've definitely, to my knowledge, never heard even maybe a single song by this band prior to listening to them prepping for this countdown. But as luck would have it, I ran into the debut album by this band. And check it out, man. This band is called IQ, band from Southampton, England. And they're still kicking around. They're still active. As of this recording, they've been a band for over 40 years now. They've got a decently healthy catalog right here, but it all kicked off with this record right here. And I'm glad it's on the countdown because I think it is a very good record. I would definitely put it in the upper echelon of any prog album that I've ever heard. So yeah, that's an endorsement for me. Probably could have done even better had I had a little extra nostalgia for this record in this band, but... I think 48's a good position here for this countdown, so check it out. Let me know what you think about it. So on this five-song debut album, and yes, it is a full-length 45-minute record, somewhere along those lines, but much like Yes, it's like the first and last song are very long. I think the first song borders around 20 minutes, but I'm going to go with this one right here. Not the shortest song on the record, but definitely not the longest. Right there in the middle of the album is this nice little seven and a half minute entry right here. So to represent this album, which by the way is called Tales from the Lush Attic, this is IQ with the track Awake and Nervous. Enjoy.
So, as I was listening to that track again with you right there, and that was, yes, IQ, with Awaken Nervous from their debut album, Tales from the Lush Attic, here, coming in at number 48 on the countdown. But, as I was listening to that track, I was thinking about the fact that, so, I was four, about four years old, during 1983, so I wasn't reading a whole lot about music, I was reading a little bit, and some about music, but I didn't know these things, but looking back on a year like this as a music historian or whatever you want to call it, musicologist, I realized that with arguably the two biggest leaders of British prog rock in the 70s, which that being Genesis and Yes, and you can even put Pink Floyd in that camp, but it's a different kind of issue. In 1983, bands like Genesis and Yes are going for the throne. They're writing poppier music. They're writing shorter songs. So their roots... They did leave behind in a sense. Yes, they're still very good musicians, but they're not making super duper prog rock anymore. So basically, it looks like at this point in 1983, the door is wide open for a new wave of progressive rock to come through if such a thing is going to happen, if such a movement is going to happen. And it does seem like a band like IQ is poised to be in position to be put on a potential throne like that. Of course, them and Marillion, who I know also debuted in 83, uh, with massive apologies to Chris Riley since I brought up Marillion, just missed being on my countdown. I am so sorry. But, but I do like that IQ record. There is kind of a parallel I do see in IQ with like, yes, and Marillion is a little more Genesis. And as a prog band, I do actually like Yes a little better than Genesis. So that might make a little sense as to why IQ did better for me, at least here in 1983. But hey, time's going to tell on that shit. We'll see how they go from this point forward. Same with Marillion as we move on here to the next entry. And speaking of good musicians, this band definitely always had at least a handful of good musicians representing it. But to me, especially, it is all about the voice of this band. I'm talking about Alcatraz. Alcatraz, also brand new on the scene here in 1983 with their debut album, which is called No Parole from Rock and Roll, came out in October of 83, co-produced by Dennis McKay and Andrew Truman. And you got longtime stalwarts of the band, Jimmy Waldo and Gary Shea on this record. You've got... A brand new hotshot lead guitar player by the name of Ingve Malmsteen coming in here on this debut record. But for me, once again, it's the voice, man. Fresh out of Rainbow, we've got the great Graham Bonnet here on lead vocals. And yes, there's good musicians throughout the history of Alcatraz. And not that they have a whole lot of records, but... Yeah, if, if no Graham Bonnet, no Alcatraz, if you ask me. The fact that there are two Alcatrazes now is very stupid to me. If I wanted to hear Doogie White sing, then I would have become an MSG fan, and I am not an MSG fan. So there you have it. I'm an Alcatraz fan for sure, and a lot of that definitely, of course, has to do with the great Graham Bonnet. Case closed. Let's open it back up here for No Parole from Rock and Roll, the great debut album from Alcatraz. This is a strong year, like I said, and as much as I really dig this album, once again, I've said this since the very first part of this countdown. If you made it on the countdown, then you are a very good to great record. So yeah, and this is a really cool time for heavy metal music because thrash is just bubbling up around the corner, 
but there's still a lot of room for just great traditional heavy metal. And Alcatraz is definitely that band. So yeah, there's so many cool highlights on this record. I could have picked anything, but I actually am going to go with a deep track, even though I feel like maybe the average listener may have not ever heard anything by Alcatraz. But I like this song as a representative for the debut. So here is Alcatraz with Jet to Jet. We made a 
some extreme high-level heavy metal right there by Alcatraz from their debut album, No Parole from Rock and Roll, and that was Jet to Jet. I'm definitely not going to front Ingve sounds good on this record, but I'm not an overall fan of his stuff. But yeah, he services the music actually pretty decently on this record. It's one of those things where if he had been made to be in some sort of band situation throughout his career, then I think he'd probably be a little more heralded in the overall grand scheme of things. But that's my opinion. But hey, I offer my opinion on the whole prog rock versus pop thing early on just a couple of minutes ago on the show. So let's bring back that conversation with our number 46 album. This was definitely the first time I ever heard this band, and that would be the aforementioned Genesis with their 12th studio album, which would be also self-titled. So not the norm to just be having a self-titled album as your 12th album. But hey, to me, I'm fine with it because I feel like this is definitely one of the, if not the definitive Genesis albums. I am not the biggest fan of their prog era. I I think it's neat. I've listened to quite a bit of it, but I think it's because this is how I knew them. So this is always going to be my Genesis. So let's go with that. Let's just play the nostalgia card. So I'm not going to get too deep on this one. Although I would say listening to this whole album, I think it might surprise some people because there's a handful of hit singles on it. Uh, But the deep stuff is really cool. Still showing signs of their prog side, but not too much. It doesn't go too over the top. Although I have often said I am super surprised that a song like Mama, for instance, uh, was not a Peter Gabriel song. It could have been easily a solo Peter Gabriel song, yet it wound up being this Genesis song. So I always think that's an interesting parallel to draw, of course, with Peter being the original vocalist. But I am going to do that thing where I play an obvious single to represent the album because if you ever have that day or even just a couple hours and you're listening to regular ass radio, then if you're listening to at least probably a, God, this is going to kill me to say this, but an oldie station, you will more than likely come across this song at some point still to this day. And I think that's great because to me this is a perfect pop rock song. I've always loved it. And if you're a little sick of this song, I've got something that may help you along. Only recently just reading up on it, reading some behind-the-scenes stuff about it. I noticed that when people talk about, oh, I was trying to emulate this or emulate that, sometimes it comes across as a little disenchanting. But I gotta say, Phil Collins talking about how his inspiration for drumming on this song was straight up just trying to copy Ringo's style as hard as he could. And I gotta say, he really pulls it off on this song. So when you listen to the song, picture Ringo playing it, and it'll take on a whole new meaning. That's my pregame for you. So, yes, to represent the self-titled Genesis album from 1983, definitely gonna go with That's All. Just a shame, and that's all. 
That sounds so great in the headphones, if you ask me. That was That's All by Genesis. And that song, to me, is also a, like kind of exhibit A of why that's such a great lineup and proof that a truly great band can raise the game of the individual because everybody is just locked in and playing really great on that track. It's not just the Phil Collins show, if you know anything about this band. Tony Banks with that great piano line i think he's actually the one that really kicked the song off as far as writing it goes mike rutherford with this killer solo at the end of it and i've heard all the solo projects by all three guys and they're fine but to me like when they're at the peak here of genesis that's when they were all truly at their best i don't feel that any of those three could argue that statement they're just having that moment the the first half of the 80s just completely belongs to genesis in that sense I like a lot of stuff off that album, like I said. I almost played Illegal Alien because I love that track. It's funny. I like the video, that kind of thing. But to me, that's all is just peak right there. So there you have it. Number 46 belongs to the Genesis self-titled album. And speaking of great musicians, here is an absolute and all-star by name and nature, an all-star collective of musicians right here coming in at number 45. Very overlooked album. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, in its circle, it's definitely heralded. But this album needs to be put on more ears. 
just as far as if you see it in a store, you need to buy this damn thing because probably the funk album of the year, if I had to really put it down, this and one other album that's going to be on the countdown is just absolute funk record of the year. The P-Funk All-Stars. This is the only album actually officially billed as the P-Funk All-Stars. So it's, it is what it says it is. It's an all-star team of the different lineups of Parliament and Parliament Funkadelic over the years, and even some more people other than the ones that you may know to be on any of their records. Of course, headed up by George Clinton. you got some damn heavy hitters in here. you got like Bootsy Collins in the mix, Eddie Hazel, people you'd expect to be in here. But we're also looking at credits of Maceo Parker, you know, guys, Fred Wesley, those kind of guys. Fucking Sly Stone is credited as playing on this record. So it is next level funk for sure. I I wish I had this on vinyl. I, I don't have a physical of it. It's actually hard to come by physically, especially lately. But I'd love to see if it has like the individual listings on there just to be able to pick out who's playing on what. So I'm like, you tell me Sly Stone could be bothered to do anything in 82, 83? That sounds weird to me, but... I love the fact that he's credited on here. Even got a co-producer credit on the record overall, along with Bootsy and George Clinton and Gary Scheider all share co-producer credits on this album. This album is called Urban Dance Floor Gorillas, and it's spelled like Gorilla Warfare, so not like the animal, the gorilla, but yeah. Urban Dance Floor Gorillas. It's a hot record, and I could have played anything off of it. Matter of fact... Go ahead and go stream it if you got the Spotify and what have you. Go stream it because there's some bonus tracks on there. There's a 12-inch mix of one of the songs on there. And I was like, oh, well, that's where it's from. I love still running in to great classic hip-hop samples. And a good chunk of De La Soul's Me, Myself, and I is on one of the remixes on this record. So there you go. Uh, But yes, let's play this one right here. So fun. Turn it up. Let it bump. This is the P-Funk All-Stars with Hydraulic Pump. Thank you. 
I have a theory that a lot of these Parliament records, George Clinton records, whatever you want to call them, but especially the ones with the full bands, I have a theory that it's just controlled chaos. It does sound that way. I don't know if most of these songs were ever written like kind of on paper in a sense and have some sort of structure. I think maybe that's where possibly like the Bootsy Collins influence comes in. Because, of course, he played with James Brown. You could tell those old classic James Brown songs, there was some structure to it, but it was very much a jam where you lock into a groove and there's some conducting going on to kind of lead people, you you play, you play. But I feel like that's what a lot of these records are, and that's what makes them great, because they're just loose, but they're live. So there you have it. That was the P-Funk All-Stars, of course, led by the king of interplanetary funk, George Clinton. Yes, Urban Dance Floor Gorillas. Go get that record. And we take a bus ride from the Midwest and all the funk going over into deep west coast of Los Angeles in the early 80s with X. X went on a run here. As soon as the 80s kicked off, they did four albums, four straight years, this one being the fourth of that run. They'll take 84 off in a sense as far as putting out a record, but they'll be back in 85 but for now, in 83, they've got this album here, More Fun in the New World. And, and to me, it's actually, like it says, it's a more fun record than the previous album, Under the Big Black Sun. Under the Big Black Sun is good, but I think I actually like this one better. So I think it even did a little better on the countdown here. Uh, once again, produced by keyboardist, organist for The Doors, Ray Manzarek, who I believe has produced every one of these records ever since the debut. He always seems to make a cameo performance-wise on the record. I wasn't really listening for it because it, it's such a part of their sound that I wasn't even paying attention to see if he actually played on it this time. But I know I've said this a lot as it pertains to X, the Los Angeles version of X, is I really dig the male-female co-lead vocal. And I'm surprised there wasn't more bands that did that over time. It's It's weird that it didn't happen that way but hey it does still make them very unique and it makes them stick out in music history so there you go so to represent this record right here kind of a pseudo title track for the album but definitely my favorite on this album here is we're having much more fun
coming in at number 44 on our top 83 albums of 1983 countdown. That was Exine, John, DJ, and Billy, better known as X, the American X. I say that also to give equal respect for X Japan. But yes, that was X from their album, More Fun in the New World. Coming in at number 43, I think we've done a couple of real big definitive albums. This definitely goes along the lines of, I think about, I guess, last episode maybe, something like that. These all run together for me, I apologize. But we talked about Can't Slow Down by Lionel Richie, and it being just one of those albums that everybody seems to own, especially in the year 83. This one is another one of those records. Coming in at number 43, this record that came out in August of 83, Produced by Phil Ramone, very heralded old school producer, Phil Ramone, not an actual Ramone, but producer Phil Ramone. It's very important. I believe he is also from New York. But that all being said, this one right here, huge record, millions of copies sold. Seven of the 10 songs on it were released as singles officially to varying degrees of success, mind you. But that's a big deal. Uh, So yes, as I call it, the last of the big run Billy Joel. There's that run that Billy goes on where yes, he's selling a lot of records and seems to have a lot of songs on the radio at all times. A lot of people say this run starts at The Stranger and sales-wise I'd say you're right but to me the creative run starts at Turnstiles prior to The Stranger and finishes up with this one here, An Innocent Man. I can't really add to the overall greatness and history of this album. It very much sings for itself And of course, most of us know that the album was conceived as kind of a concept as throwback tribute to Billy in his teenage years, soul music, doo-wop music, early rock and roll, like the pre-British invasion rock and roll. So the things like pretty much all the music that you hear whenever it's origin story time for the mobsters and Scorsese movies, like that stuff, Little Anthony and the Imperials, Benny King. The Penguins, the Diamonds, all all the the bands, the Drifters, Frankie Valley, and the Four Seasons. All we haven't even gotten to Motown, but yeah, Motown, a whole other thing, but part of this influence as well. So it's a fun record in that sense, and I think that's definitely why it was so successful. Coming off of the Nylon Curtain, which I do believe to be his best overall album, probably. I love Nylon Curtain, but... This is kind of a generic thing that some people say, whether you're in the band or not, but this is kind of the record that Billy had to make because while Nylon Curtain was heralded, it was not massively successful. This thing was a monster. So this really helped really solidify and cement his career for the rest of his life, I feel. Him getting ripped off and going broke the first time, I think this one paid off from the previous time and then he'd lose it all again later on that behind the music episode is insanity if you've ever seen it go go look that up i just spoiled some of it but wow but anyway let's get back to the music that's the important part right not the drama and the sex and the drugs and all this stuff it's the rock and roll but yeah of course there's a lot of window dressing here but loving to read the liner notes and everything and the articles and finding out that each song has what what i thought night flight orchestra probably does which is this is going to be directly attributed to a certain band or singer or a couple of different bands and a couple of different singers for each individual song. And I really like that approach. I think it's really cool. If you're going to go for a timepiece, keep it authentic, right? So if I read over these liner notes and I don't think 
that, oh, this could have been sung by that person. If I feel that's not the case, then it's a failure. But when you look at all the liner notes and see who he's actually paying tribute to, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. So what I'm going to do is I actually, one of my personal favorite songs off the album is, is a single that wasn't as big as some of the other ones. Because, you know, of course, Uptown Girl is undeniable. Tell her about it, undeniable. Longest time. I was always a big fan of Keeping the Faith. And to me, some of it was just the cheesy, fun music video as a kid. And also, dude, Christy Brinkley in that video. Where, where's the Cobras and Fire Drop? The, the yellow. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah. Seriously. Like, even at five, six years old, seeing her in that video, I was like, wow. I was getting, like, solid gold dancer feels. Anyway. Okay. So, that all being said, like Keeping the Faith. Fun song. But I'm going to go with this one right here as a way of apologizing for not having a good clip to play for you at the top of the show of this film. I'm going to kind of represent a film in a way with this entry. So let's go with the kickoff track and I guess the official theme song for a film as well. We kick things off with, as a self-described tribute to Wilson Pickett and James Brown with Easy Money.
Coming in at number 43 right there, that was Billy Joel and his massively successful album, An Innocent Man. Of course, that was the kickoff track, Easy Money. You know pretty much the rest of the album. So even if you've never owned it, you know this whole record. So it's one of those. All right, these last two right here are just AOR gold. Like, I was aware of this first album, the one that's coming up here I'm about to talk about, but I was not aware of the one after it. So sit back and pretend like BJ Cramp is hosting these two segments because this is definitely AOR AOK for sure. So I first learned about this band a little under 10 years ago when I first started doing like the Fallen Tribute shows to the, the people that have passed away. And at the same time, around this same time, there was that classic rock magazine that I got so inspired by. I did like a two-parter on alternate universe classic rock. This band was being talked about because of the fact also at the same time, their notable lead singer had died of cancer, unfortunately. It's this band called LaRue. They used to be known as Louisiana's LaRue, so I looked further into that and found out this is something I can't say very often at all. They're actually from my hometown of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So how cool is that? Have you ever heard of LaRue? And it's spelled L-E-R-O-U-X. In case you're not from the southern part of the United States, it's just a thing. It's that Creole French Louisiana thing, LaRue with an X. But man, these guys just play, to me, definitive-sounding early 80s melodic rock and roll leaning a little bit hard rock there's a tinge of southern rock in it but also like that cool thing that's going on with like lover boy putting out cool songs and stuff like that it's just that perfect storm of this kind of 80s commercial rock and it is a damn shame that this album didn't have the kind of backing and payola going for it because this should be considered like pretty high up there maybe not toto for high but that's a whole other thing because the lead singer of this band, Fergie Fredrickson, at the time, uh, he was singing for this band. He had previously sung for Survivor for a little bit, and then he wound up getting the lead singer gig for Toto in the mid-'80s. So at least people recognized that Fergie Fredrickson was a voice to behold. So he did pretty well for himself, but it's a shame that LaRue didn't do a lot bigger. There is a version of LaRue that's still active out there and playing shows, but unfortunately, Fergie has now passed away. But man, I'd say if I saw them booked to play in my town, I'd definitely go see them. Or if I'm out in Louisiana and they're playing, I'll definitely make a point. But you got to check out this record. The album is called So Fired Up, produced by the bass player of the band, Leon Medica. So go look this album up. Once again, it's called So Fired Up. The band is LaRue. This song right here, I found out that this song is actually a tribute to Carrie Hamilton, who's Carol Burnett's daughter. I only knew her from that movie Shag, but apparently one of the guys in the band had a thing for her. So here you go. This song is called Carrie's Gone. Enjoy.
Coming in at number 42 on our countdown, that was LaRue, formerly known as Louisiana's LaRue. The album is so fired up, and that was Carrie's Gone. Go look up that record. It is a fun-ass record. And coming in at number 41, equally fun, just a little bit higher on the countdown, but I, I get so excited whenever it's a new discovery for me, personally. I just... I jotted down the name of this band and this album because I saw it on a list of notable albums. I try to hit a lot of different sites. Mostly, of course, besides my personal collection, I do lean on Wikipedia and Discogs, stuff like that. But I'll try to like actively look at like fan lists and maybe go on Reddit here and there, just trying to find anything I can to really pop me. And this was one of those records I ran into. I don't even remember where I saw it as a source, but... I started listening to it one day on a walk and I was like, holy shit, where has this band been my whole life? And it turns out, I guess it's just uh, another one of those things, much like LaRue's management and label didn't get behind it. So it's just kind of forever lost in the ether unless you own it physically and have kept the name alive out there. And thankfully, it, here's the other thing. Of course, if I don't own the album, I'm going on a walk. I will, of course, listen to it on Spotify. It's a necessary evil, but it really does help me out uh, filling in some of these blanks because a record like this, of course, I never owned it, and I still don't own it because I didn't even know about it prior to going into this whole thing. But it was about three-quarters of the way through this album, and I was like, man, I got to just go find out everything I can about this band because I was just fascinated, a little blown away, and here's my initial two reactions. Uh, one, very simple. Because I was so down on Loverboy's output in 83. What was it called? Keep It Up or whatever. Very disappointed in that album. It was in the bottom 10 of albums that I reviewed all the way through. I disqualified quite a few records. But as far as albums I stuck with, it ranked very, very low. Like 50 points or something, if that. And I just kept thinking, man, okay, these guys, if I had to bet they're Canadian... Because I'm getting a lot of uh, similarities to Loverboy stylistically and song-wise and everything. So I started hitting things like Wikipedia and stuff like that. Find out that Paul Dean of Loverboy had been in the band before, early on in their incarnation. So I was like, well, there's that. So yeah, that makes total sense that I got the Loverboy vibes. But just the fact that they're outdoing them so hard, like creatively and... Is, yeah, of course you want Loverboy's money and accolades, but this band right here, they're called Streetheart. And when I saw it on paper, I was like, wait, Steelheart was putting out records in anything? No, it was Streetheart. One word, much like Steelheart. But this band Streetheart, and they have this album out in 83 called Dancing with Danger, which if you are uh, talking about Kiss Facts, once again, if you're a hardcore Kiss nerd, that you will know that title to be a song that Fraley's Comet covered later on. And yes, that's where the original version comes from, is this album. Not even going to play that song to rep it. This is how cool this album is. But finding out a few other things. And yeah, I'm still going to build this album up before I play the song, because i got a few more things I want to talk about and get it off my chest. Come to also find out, and not that this song is on this record that I'm about to reference, but one of my favorite songs, as I talked about last year, doing the 92 countdown is i'm such a big fucking fan of the song hot cherie by hardline which is of course their biggest hit and it's it's still played every day on hair nation which i love but 
yeah, this band did the original version of that song. So once again, another thing where I'm like, well, of course I love this band. I already, it's an instant love. And then I'm finding out all these extra layers. So here's the big, big layer I peeled back. And this was one of the moments I've had this year where, yeah, as you get older and everything, you feel like maybe you're losing touch uh, just with memory and yourself and everything. But one thing I got to say is I have really, even if I had nobody listening, which I barely have anybody listening anyway. And once again, I appreciate anybody that can hear my voice and my ramblings right now. But these are the kind of things that I love that constantly keep me on my toes and really make me think that my brain is not dying and my ear as either it's yet to peak or it's peaking right now as far as my musical ear goes. So as I'm listening to this album, I was like, you know what? The drums on this album have a very familiar sound to them, and it's really given me a lot of nostalgia and flashback and just really good. It's just given me a great feel. And as I zoned in on the drums on a couple of tracks there, I'm about halfway through the album listening at this point. I was like, I bet you anything, if I had to make a bet, it has something to do with either a studio or an engineer. And one of the people involved in this album had to have worked on Metal Health by Quiet Riot. And maybe even further than that, possibly like Theater of Pain by Motley Crue, because the drum sound sounds exactly like the way Frankie Benali's drums sound on Metal Health, and to an extent also Tommy Lee, the way his drums are gated and it sounds on Theater of Pain. It's a very notable drum sound, for me at least. So look this album up on Discogs, because also I'm like, man, I want to buy this album. <laughs> but looking up on the credits, and there it is. I see the name right there in black and white, Spencer Proffer. And I was like, yes! I called that shit before I ever looked it up. And I have no reason to lie to you people because you are my true friends. You're listening to this show. I'm not ever going to say that, oh, I knew all this in advance. And I'm not going to like tease some crazy weird reveal that I'm just making up for the purpose of having a story. No, this all happened completely organically. I was like, holy shit, Spencer Proffer, who was the, one of the heads of Pasha Records, who produced and engineered and co-wrote a lot of stuff on mental health. So that makes me think, wow, he had a lot to do with the sound as well, in addition to everything else. So, yeah, there you go. Spencer Proffer produced this album. Another reason why it is a just perfect-sounding early 80s album and another reason why apparently I like it so damn much. This is definitely another one of those examples where if I'd have been listening to this album from the ground floor in 83, then it'd probably be a top 10 record. But this is where I have it here on the countdown at number 41 just missing the top 40 this top 40 is going to rule trust me and to get you all warmed up for it here's album number 41 dancing with danger by streetheart we're going to close things off with this very rocking track here called too hot to stop turn it up
Closing off the show here today and coming in at number 41 on the top 83 albums of 1983 countdown, that was Street Heart with Too Hot to Stop from their album Dancing with Danger. Go check out that record. And I was talking about, yeah, you should just go stream it if you're just on the Spotify. It was weird. I couldn't find this album looking it up by the band name. So I would recommend you typing in the album name. I don't know if it was just me and I was having a dumb day and not typing well, but I do remember the last two times I've gone to go listen to this record, I've had to type in the title. So type in Dancing With Danger. It's got a white background on it. It is still under Street Heart, but for some reason it just wouldn't come up. Yes, there's my advice. Uh, Yes, as of right now, until you hear otherwise, or if you PM me, if you are at a record store and you find a nice vinyl copy, or hell, I'll take a CD as well, of this album i'll pay you back (laughs) deal okay and i'll send you some free stuff as well okay all right i hope you enjoyed this episode numbers 50 through 41 here on our top 83 albums of 1983 countdown we've got the top 40 to do now over the next four days it's going to be a lot of fun stay tuned to the feed subscribe all that fun stuff so until we break the top 40 stay tuned for my better half nola with the plugs and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have Rock Strikes 10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris where cinema's trash is treated like treasure, and the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business, Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.
post-game show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.